0: You're listening to the Leadership Jam Session podcast, the place where you'll get to hear leaders at all levels of management share their practical solutions to the management challenge you face every day. So let's get ready to jam. I'm your host, Rob Fonte. Welcome back to Leadership Jam Session. If you're listening for the first time, my name is Rob Fonte. I'm a leadership development consultant and coach with more than 20 years experience in leading teams. For more information about me or how you can subscribe to the show, please visit my website at leadershipjamsession.com. Now, enough about me. Today's guest is Jason Ross, a psychotherapist who specializes in parenting, relationships, trauma, substance abuse, and wellness. I thought it'd be a great idea to sit down with Jason and get his perspective on leadership from a psychotherapist point of view. We'll also talk about any advice or guidance that Jason can provide on how to best manage not only our people during this pandemic, but our families as well, and any thoughts he may have on the mental or emotional effects of COVID-19. Oh, and by the way, Jason also has an interesting career that he likes to dabble in, which we'll get to a little later in the show. Jason, welcome to the Leadership Jam session.
1: Thanks for having me. Are you ready to jam? I'm definitely ready to jam.
0: All right, so let's start with a little bit of your background, and from what I understand, you are the son of two psychotherapists.
1: That's correct. Actually, my parents were two psychoanalytically trained therapists So, uh, very much Freudian uh, psychoanalysis. So, kind of trained what you really understand, what you see in in typical movies and TV shows. Somebody lying on the couch. Tell me about your mother and your father. That's kind of what I'm. I've been raised with. Ah,
0: so I've got to ask, how did that look? Go for (laughs) it.
1: Well, we all sat around the dinner table asking each other how we felt about the meatloaf. Uh, (laughs) When you grow up like that, you're 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 definitely. In a little more in tune with your emotions, you're definitely a little bit more encouraged to talk about how you feel. That's for sure. There was a little bit more room. My, my parents were strict in some ways and very liberal in others. So the rules for me were a little bit different than other kids, I thought. Sure. I still think.
0: Yeah, boy, that must have been fun um, or interesting growing up with you, particularly as, as a friend. <laughs>
1: I think probably my friends were a little more hesitant to come to dinner at my house than anybody else's
0: right exactly all right so let's get into leadership Uh, I was looking forward to sitting down with you and wanted to talk and get your perspective on leadership and I have a saying that a lot of people who know me are familiar with that we have a lot of managers in this world but very few leaders and from your perspective What do you think is is the one or two things that that separates great leaders from everyone else out there?
1: I think there's an authenticity that would be different. I think with that authenticity becomes what you believe. So if there's a leader, you, you buy what they're selling, so to speak, but you really believe in their intent that they want something better for you and you're more likely to follow that you're more likely to take direction from that. There's a real emotional intelligence. There's more compassion and empathy. So you connect with it differently than somebody who just says, we'll do this or do that. That might be management.
0: I completely agree with you based on what I observe. And and it's amazing. There's a lot of leaders out there that really struggle with that side of it. You know, they they call it the the soft skills or they just call it fluff. And they really do struggle with that. They don't really put a whole lot of of weight on it. But from your thoughts, from your point of view, you agree that that is a critical skill set that's needed for leaders.
1: I I think that's the difference right there. If I think of the people that I might want to listen to or follow, there's something in that empathy, emotional intelligence that makes you want to connect and you almost want to work for them. I agree.
0: Maybe we can dive into that a little bit. Why do you think people struggle with that so much or don't believe in the impact that it could have?
1: I think it goes back to the inordinate stigma we have with mental health as of right now. It's really part and parcel. People don't want to look at themselves and look at their deficiencies. Those who do, they're the game changers. They don't personalize it. They say, you know what? I'm going to show my colors and I'm going to work on them. How many people say, I can improve that way. I can improve my attitude. I can improve my willingness. It's not the bulk of people. We've been struggling with this for years and years and years. There is a mental health crisis. So at the top, well, let's face it, when you get power and control, so to speak, what's the odds you're going to want to look at it? It's only based on how emotionally intelligent you are.
0: Well, it's interesting how you talk about there's a mental, uh, or mental health crisis. I believe there's a leadership crisis as well. As I said before, you know, there's uh, a lot of managers, but very few leaders. And I do agree that that difference really does come from that, the emotional side of it. It's interesting what you said as you get to the top and you get more, you know, you get that power and the ego certainly does tend to come into play a lot.
1: Ego is the divider in terms of emotional intelligence. When your when your life is based around your ego, there's gonna be a problem. When your life is based around your esteem, that's different. You're gonna lead better. No question about it.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people, a lot of leaders out there love to throw out the term emotional intelligence as a catch all and they really have no idea what it truly means. I'm certified to, to teach a, a specific course and as well as certain members of my teams. You know, it does go much deeper than just throwing that term out there. As you talked about, it's you know, self-esteem, even the decision-making, interpersonal skills, even the stress tolerance or stress management all ties into the emotional intelligence piece. It is interesting how some leaders just really don't understand the impact or how it is connected to true leadership. I am curious because what you were talking about before is also being very vulnerable and yet leaders really struggle with that piece of it.
1: Absolutely. People struggle in general, right? So you would think, at the higher levels, the question is, how much of yourself do you want to really make vulnerable and expose because you're potentially more open to attack unless you really understand that the vulnerability can be a strength. Now, granted that message is getting around more than it used to, but again, we can keep beating, you know, I hate to say, beating a dead horse Um, in this case. (laughs) This mental health crisis has been around. Part of this is that the, the stigma, and also let's just say from the male gender, how they're not supposed to show vulnerability in the things that they've been taught. So if you're taught that growing up, well, what do you think's the chance that's not gonna be your leadership style, if we call it that? You're gonna have a tougher time really getting people behind you. Again, it's the difference between being obedient and respected. You wanna be respected uh, because that's gonna motivate, you know, if a coach is a great coach, what he realizes or she realizes is that you motivate players a certain way, they wanna go to bat for you. That's the difference. That's emotional intelligence, the person who can do that.
0: Yeah. And, and the ones that can do that uh, have a tremendous following by their employees. And oftentimes, a lot of these leaders get persecuted because of their emotional intelligence approach. There's this whole perception that you have to have this loud personality be very gregarious in order to be deemed a, as a leader. And you have a lot of leaders out there who are have a quiet presence, but with their teams, that presence is very loud. And it's the way they approach their team and they are vulnerable. And that's the reason why people wanna follow these leaders because they, they're human. They present themselves as real world. And it's interesting, I, I, you know there's, there's leaders out there that with these egos and they have arrogance. And I often thought, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Do you believe it's also a sign of some deep-rooted insecurities?
1: Without fail, the greater the, e- the ego, uh, the greater the insecurities. I, I, I've done a video on a big uh, chart about what that really looks like in some uh, more inappropriate terms that people might be able to understand. But for our purposes here, you can just pretty much understand it's it's an inverse proportion. People, if you see a really big ego, you, all you have to think is, man, what are they covering up? It's that simple. Yeah, And it's not really attractive to most people. You never hear anybody in a dating scenario. Like, you know, there's all these dating apps. You never hear... Any of the, the criteria on them, one of them being, do you have a big ego? They're not going to put that on there because no <laughs> one wants to put that in. But if they did, you know, you'd be getting swiped left pretty much every time. Right, exactly. So, yeah, ego's ego is sort of the inverse of self-esteem. It's a defense mechanism. So... Not a great leadership trait. Every
0: now and then I'll come across when, when a company brings me in to do a management training workshop or whatever the case may be. I always come across every now and then a leader that is supposed to participate where they'll make a comment, ah, I've been doing this for years. I really don't need any more training. And inevitably what I come to learn is that they're the ones that need it the most it's probably similar to, as you talked about before, how you know there's there's a negative stigma with therapy. And the ones that say that they don't need it are probably the ones that need it the most. I got to imagine there's a correlation.
1: For sure. It's, it's almost like, well, I'm showing that I'm weak, so you're not going to believe in me versus using it as a strength saying, yeah, I could always improve. Well, which person do you want to hang out with or be led by? Pretty simple. Most people We want the person who's teachable, because you're modeling that behavior for your your team. And modeling is one of the biggest behaviors you can do as a leader, as a parent, anything. Really leading by example.
0: That humility, when you have a leader standing up there, and to take it even one step further, admitting a mistake they may have made, or, or even that they may not know the answer, goes a long way in building trust with your teams.
1: Exactly. Through emotional intelligence, trust is built, and trust makes a really strong team. So
0: looking at the environment we're in right now, what advice can you give my listeners out there, to help them manage their teams effectively during this pandemic because there's a lot of challenges and stresses just layered on. I mean, look, it's managing people is hard to begin with, right? And to some degree, it's, it's almost like you have to be a therapist. There are many days where I would end my day and I would sit down. And I was like, man, I need a drink. Like, it was exhausting, you know, trying to navigate through some of the discussions and some of the, the scenarios that I had to manage people
1: through. At the end of the day, if leaders want to change something, they have to look inward, obviously, but it's really looking at what are my defense mechanisms that are getting in the way of people attaching to me in a healthy in a healthy way. Uh, you know, in, in therapy, we talk about healthy attachment and an unhealthy attachment. So here we are in obviously a state of the world, which we've never endured, you know, in our lifetime, certainly not in mine. And... What people have to think about is how much vulnerability can I show and if I'm not sure, how do I even attain that vulnerability? How do I look at myself and work at myself and be the model, be the example for my team? And that authenticity ultimately is what connects everybody. That motivates them, that builds the trust. So they have to look inwards, you know, it's, it's a real gut check, right, to say, you know what. I could, do, I could do some things better emotionally. Let's face it. How many people really get up in the morning and say, you know, that's what I'm going to do today. I was going to watch the news, but screw that. <laughs> Let me go work on myself. Right. Yeah. Right in the middle of a mental health crisis on top of everything else. Yeah. Right. And people are naturally fearful. So what I do know from some people who are in leadership roles, they share their experiences of what they're going through right now. Therapists do that. You know, I look. I'm I'm open about what I do, especially therapists. You know, we have more on social media than ever. And say this isn't easy per se. What we're going through, right? It again, your your mindset going into it is important. But we all have struggles. We all have days where we go, man, this day couldn't end soon enough. You know, I get I can't wait for tomorrow, even though tomorrow might be like today. Right. Yeah. But we we just want we just want to get through it. So that vulnerability is so critical.
0: All right. So let me ask you this. We talked about managers or leaders out there who just don't believe in it or just don't see the need in it. But you do have others that do see the value in it, but they're just not wired to have that level of emotional intelligence. It's it's exhausting for them, but they know that they need to improve in that area. What advice or suggestions can you
1: give them? Well, the first one for sure is going to be that they really need to be looking at counseling. They really do. to look at their issues that get in the way of them being able to do that. Again, if they're in a leadership capacity, they have to say, how will this impact my ability to do my job really well? If I look at my own stuff, will that prepare me to be more open, more vulnerable, more flexible, and take over in a way that they hadn't thought before? So that's one thing I, I would say they need to do. Granted, there's you know even books on the subject, books on emotional intelligence like Daniel Goleman's, there's a Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Probably anything Brene Brown has written, you should probably read. Her TED Talk is yeah. worth watching. It gets people in a different mindset. So I think it goes back to the, the gut check to say, okay, this is a struggle for me. How can I change this? Well, maybe I have to talk about why it's a struggle for me. Maybe it's something a little more rooted, uh, a little more deeply rooted than I had wanted to admit. And I would argue that if you address it and you unlocked the problem, you then got stronger. That puts you in a position of strength as a leader. No question in my mind. You know,
0: you just reminded me that when you talked about before the negative stigma with therapy, as you know, I, I do a lot of uh, coaching as well. There's a negative stigma attached with bringing in an executive or a leadership coach uh, because inevitably people think that, well, there's a problem with me or I need to be fixed. And- it is amazing once people go through the experience, they really do understand the value that it can bring to them. And so, again, it's interesting how you brought that up because there's definitely, you know, that that negative stigma attached to it as well. But people do need to reach out and, and ask for help.
1: And people are afraid to, and they've been for years. I, I, it's getting a little better. I think the aftermath of this crisis will be, there may be more of an emphasis put on it. But even now, i, I I think we may have spoken about it, but people have asked me that right now. They say, "Oh, you're—you know—people must be knocking down your door for therapy." And you know, while I do coaching too, the fact of the matter is, people aren't that quick to get therapy. They're just not. They'd certainly even rather get coaching more so than psychotherapy. There's just a stigma attached even to the word. Granted, I've grown up around it my whole life, so it doesn't hit me the same way. Uh, but people are struggling with that, so they're more likely to shut down at first when adversity hits when trauma hits eventually it'll come out i think it'll be tougher to deal with then but this is sort of the climate that we've had for a long time
0: well all right so speaking of of the climate and the current climate and so let's shift gears here for a second you know i told my wife that i was going to be sitting down with a psychotherapist and she immediately cut me off and she said thank god it's about time and I was going to correct her in terms of the reason why I was sitting down. It's not because we're having a, it's not like I'm sitting on a couch, uh, although right. I might be soon as I continue to talk to you. But <laughs> I sat back, I was like, all right, you know, why, uh, why crush her, her enthusiasm? I mean, we've been trapped together for the past two months. So let her believe what she wants to believe. I mean, it's all about leverage at this point for me. So my, my question is,
1: <laughs> why upset her if it's not necessary?
0: Exactly right. Um, So my question is, what are the effects that either the short-term or long-term effects that you see happening with COVID-19?
1: I think short-term, there's gonna be an increase in anxiety. There's gonna be an increase in depression. That's problematic. I think marriages that were struggling before are going to struggle more because everybody's on top of each other in the house. Because let's say, you know, for parents, the the delegating of responsibility has been a struggle in the marriage and now the children are at home and they need more support. You know, children are generally at school six to eight hours a day. They're under somebody else's care. So outside of the weekends on a given night, you know, if a child comes home four or five o'clock, if you're lucky, again, you might be picking them up at three, but you got five to 10, let's say those five hours where they're awake by 10, usually they're going to sleep or they're out of your hair. So that's the short term. The long term is the divorce rate could go up. I think we're going to have a greater crisis with mental health, unfortunately. And there's going to be, a, I'll say a form of PTSD, just to, I use it as a global term, I, people can question that use, but people who don't deal with what they feel and the impact of being sequestered, not being able to go out. So look, we're seeing it with people running out, in, you know, running out to beaches, et cetera, because they feel so cooped up, not necessarily realizing the potential consequence in the action. Whether or not you believe the virus is a problem or not, so it's going to be long-lasting. I think that the divorce rate would potentially go up, except for one factor: people's financial struggles will be greater. Less people will be able to get divorced. It'll be easier to stay together, separate but not legally divorced. And that's an odd situation to happen.
0: And you see that happening a lot prior to the pandemic hitting.
1: Yes, I think the divorce rate they said was somewhere between 50 to 60%. And my feeling was that doesn't include a percentage above that for people who want to get divorced but are too afraid to or don't. Now what's gonna happen? So that impact is very big and that impact for children is big. And that also to take it around will affect how they function and how they might lead too.
0: You know, I was having a discussion the other day with a manager home coaching and and I asked her how, how she was just, just in general, how she's doing. And, just, you know, it's I'm, I'm exhausted. Both her and her husband work full time at home, obviously now, but have kids, three, you know, three kids, uh, all young, and she's having to do shifts. She can only work like four hours, And then the husband will take over and then she works again at night. And I'm sure there's a lot of that that's going on, which can be exhausting physically and
1: mentally. The emotional stress isn't necessarily incrementally worse. It could be exponentially worse. And talk about all the people who've been working on the front lines. We, we, we can't be sure what they're going through. Yes. I I believe they're very much steeled ready to do it, but it doesn't mean it doesn't take a toll. I'm, I'm set up online, volunteered for New York State, where I'm also licensed just to be able to treat, work with any emergency workers who need it, because I just think it's that important.
0: Let's talk about that. What advice or, or guidance can you give to people right now that could help them to do things currently that might also help avoid uh, or mitigate some of the, the mental health issues that may come out of this?
1: The biggest one would be staying emotionally connected. That may mean that you talk enough to your partner, a friend, loved one, family member, whoever it is, that you don't shut it down. You don't get into this, well, you know, it sucks and other people have it worse too, so I can't feel bad for a sec. That's kind of invalidating. I don't think that's the way to go. I think this is where people actually should go the opposite, to talk and get everything out, not keep it in. It's actually more toxic now than ever because we're all, you know, families are crammed in the house together generally. Yeah, they might go on a run, but they got to come back eventually. I don't care how good a runner they are. They're still coming back. So I think people have to take it in stride to say, you know what? I have to be a little bit more fair to myself, a little bit more kind and compassionate to myself to give myself time to let my guard down. And if they do that, that will absolutely lower the intensity of impact that feelings could have on the human you know emotional and stress system. So I think that's a critical piece everybody should be doing that. Wow,
0: that's great advice. Well, let me ask you the other question here. What good might come out of this?
1: There's a few things. One, it could be an opportunity that people actually take their mental health a little more seriously, not realizing before, wow, I kind of took it for granted. I think we got a little bit of a wake-up call, let's say, on 9/11 that We weren't as safe as we thought. I think that's a general consensus people have. Now we see that this has happened and the potential is there. So people can take their mental health more seriously. They damn well could take their physical health more seriously. We also, with a mental health crisis, we have a physical crisis. We've had obesity, diabetes, cancer, smoking. People could take that really seriously. More emotional connection. We actually could be more vulnerable in a healthy way and be more emotionally connected. We might value things, we might value the quiet time. Let's face it, the, the the hustle and bustle has died down quite a bit. And I'm not saying there isn't a lot of urgency. People are struggling everywhere miserably. It's terrible. For people who can be a little bit mindful, they can say, Wow, what if this becomes my norm? Can I function this way being connected? Can I function this way in my marriage? How can I take care of my health? And what kind of future do I really want? I imagine for some people, their bucket list might look a little different now. This could happen. Wow, how precious is life? If you didn't value it before, you might now. Well, I think that's worthy.
0: It does offer a lot of uh, self-reflection and to reevaluate your current state of affairs.
1: I think a lot of people are getting that opportunity. So if that was the only thing that happened, a heavy price to pay for it. So I hope people get the memo, because look look what happened here. I mean, this this is, you know, people are struggling across the country, financially, emotionally, physically, people dying. So what are you going to do with what you have in the time that you have?
0: And, you know, actually, as as we talk about this, even from the leadership side of it, uh, I, I see it anecdotally, but I do think it is helping some leaders, the ones who do struggle to connect with their people, that it's forcing them to really increase that that skill set around connecting. And, and I actually had one manager who I was talking to the other day that, you know, this, this virtual setting actually has been helping him to communicate better. It's forced him to.
1: That's going to be one of the changes. Some people are going to see this opportunity is actually pushing them into vulnerability and uncomfortability in a way they never anticipate. Because if they don't, it, it's sort of a win or lose situation. So they're, they're seeing, wow, I, 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 I need to show up. I need to show up and connect with these people. Great, if that helps, I I mean, you know, to have to go through all this and not have benefits is just tragic, nothing but tragic. It's a tragedy as it is, but to be able to gain something that, you know, humans have a little more compassion for each other and a little more connection, you know, hard to argue, we don't need it.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's great. We always go to the dark side of the equation. And I think it's important to focus on well, what good what good may come out of this and to try to focus on that as well. Great insight. All right. So one last question for you. So as I mentioned before, you have a a unique background where you do dabble in another career. And so you are an actor, writer, and I'm curious, how did you get started in that career?
1: Three years ago, I made the decision to follow through on becoming an actor, which I wanted to do when I was 20, 21, 22. And I was not confident enough to do it, even though I had a a pretty well-known manager who was willing to take me on as a client. I was not ready. So I started doing stand-up at 19, 20 years old. I've been a musician. I've done that throughout my lifetime, but I became a professional working musician in my 40s. And I waited, waited. I built my career up as a counselor, and I got an opportunity to be the script consultant on a show on Discovery ID called The Mind of a Murderer. And and the next thing, I've been on TV a couple of times as a professional, but I knew if I didn't follow through on becoming an actor or or at least attempting to it, um, I would have to sit with regret. And I sat with it long enough that there was no way I could do otherwise. And I took advice from a former Saturday Night Live writer who I'd once trained. I asked him, what do you do if you want to do what you do for a living? And he told me verbatim what to do it took me 15 years to get around to it and i followed through basically said i'm going to run into the wall head first and see what happens the only failure will be not trying and uh, i began i moved back up to new york to brooklyn i began to book gigs and uh, i'm 3 years in first two didn't have a ma- uh, an agent for most of it but i've had a i've had a nice run i've been on tv multiple times in different shows and uh, while maintaining uh, my practice, which I risked in doing it. So I kind of know about vulnerability, uh, bucket list. Um, I've, I've, I live my bucket list out all the time, and I get to do the work that I want to do. So I encourage people very oft, very much all the time, really, like, if you're afraid to do something, you better understand why. And if you work through it, you can lead by doing it. And uh, that's what I went through. and still doing it. Slower now, but, you know, my rest of my career picks up for it.
0: What would be your favorite role? Uh, if, you know, if you were to land the ideal role, what would that be? What'd that look like?
1: The ideal, uh, wow, that's a tough, probably something related to Batman. I think that would be my, <laughs> that would be, that would be, you know, uh, I wanted to do martial arts movies. I did a short, uh, my first year. I would like to do more of it because I have a bit of training. I would love to do something related to crime, uh, or bat batman's i, I find fascinating the so psychology. The, the,
0: the joker side of it or the batman side of it
1: <laughs> in that case I, in that case i would take either i actually worked background in the joker movie i did uh i spent a day on set just so i could watch joaquin phoenix really and it was yeah it was fabulous it was it was worth the price of admission i flew up to new york to do it done a lot of the nice guy characters but one time i did the not nice guy character and uh that was the most intriguing and i realized being the bad guy was much more interesting than being the good guy.
0: <laughs> I know that you went through a, a sketch writing course too, right? With the, some of the, the folks from Saturday Night Live.
1: Yes. Amy Poehler uh, started the Upright Citizens Brigade uh, Theater and Training Company in New York. So I took their sketch program a couple of years ago and I did some of their improv classes. Unfortunately, right now they're kind of shut down, uh, sadly, because it's a wonderful community of uh, I don't want to call them starving artists, but they're people with an amazing creativity and drive who just want to perform and, and live that live that dream. And it's uh, I wish I'd done it when I was younger, but luckily I got around to it. Uh, so I didn't have to sit thinking, what if, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda, the holy trinity of regret, as
0: they call it. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. You know, it's interesting. I think I was sharing with you that I love improv. Fascinates me. I think it's such a, a unique and, and awesome skill to have. And years ago, I put a team through an improv class that reported into me. Actually, one of my managers reporting into me came up with the idea for a team building and I said, sure. And it was uh, amazing going through that improv class that really helped a lot of us who struggle just to be vulnerable. And from what I've learned from that experience, there's a lot of, of companies that do bring on you know, improv people for a training session with their employees or their managers that really helps them understand how to communicate better and, and to be more vulnerable. And I never realized that till my employee came to me, my the manager came to me and, and suggested it. And I thought it was fantastic.
1: It's a great way to go. Upright Citizens Brigade does that. I, they reopen. That's a place everybody should go take a class. Everybody should go to the theater and watch a show. It's just, a, it's an amazing experience. It's really, I have to say, while I've done it, I've been in it and around it, watching the creativity and watching people who are so driven and their dedication to it is unwavering. It's wonderful to watch. It's a fabulous experience. Everybody should get to experience it.
0: Well, Jason, on behalf of my listeners, I appreciate you sitting down with us and sharing all of your insights. I think it was a fantastic discussion and even talking about your second career as well, which I find fascinating as well. For the listeners that that do want to reach out to you or learn more about you, how how can they reach out to you or look you up?
1: Sure, two simple ways. They can go to my website, jasonericross.com. And anything on social media has my full name as well, at Jason Eric Ross.
0: All right, great. And we'll leave that in the show notes for my listeners as well. And Jason, thanks again. Sincerely appreciate you coming on and stay safe
1: and be well. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much for listening in today. If you're interested in learning more about the show or how we can assist you through my leadership consulting company, then please visit my website at leadershipjamsession.com.